Two years ago, this past May, I found myself sitting around a table at the omelet shop in Brenton Village with a group of guys that I graduated high school with. Uh, We were there, my friend Mike and I had invited uh, these guys to get together and we were there having breakfast and uh, everyone knew uh, why we were there, Uh, but when we first showed up, we were just having a good time getting getting to catch up with one another. All of us were friends to some extent in high school, some better than others, and some had done a better job of kind of keeping up with others, Uh, but it was great just to get together and to talk and to catch up, and really for a half an hour, the conversation just kind of ranged back and forth between memories uh, and information about the present and where we were and how things were going, and I should have been having a great time. However, every minute that went by, I kept feeling like I need to change the discussion because we were all there for a reason. Everybody knew why we were there, but I couldn't quite bring myself to start discussing what it is we had gotten together for breakfast to discuss. You know what that's like when you know you've got to change from small talk to why you're really there? And every minute that went on, I kept feeling more and more awkward because the longer the small talk continued, uh, the more it seemed like We weren't accomplishing what we were there to accomplish. And I knew, unfortunately, somebody had to say something. And I knew it had to be me. Now, I don't know why I was so afraid to say something. I mean, after all, uh, here we were. And God had uh, brought us together to be able to, uh, to have this. Everybody knew why we were there. I knew why we were there. But there was something about that moment. Something about the fact that We had all been together before in high school and we'd had conversations, but never about this. And that we were all there and it was just too surreal, too weird, and I just couldn't make myself do it. And there was this hurdle I couldn't quite overcome. However, it was clear we had to do it. And so I said one final prayer silently to myself. And then I said, well... Mike and I invited all of you here so that we could talk about having a Bible study together so that we could talk about Jesus. We went on from that point to have uh, an evangelistic Bible study that for the past two years has been one of the greatest blessings in my life. It's been a struggle, it's been hard, but it's been amazing to see uh, how God has been at work as we've gotten together to talk regularly about Jesus, to study God's Word, and to see people who didn't know Jesus in high school come to faith uh, and come to a saving knowledge of, of God and who He is. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but if I had to pick a passage, if I had to pick a section of Scripture that I would have liked to have heard or would have liked to have known or really kind of summarized what was going on, the passage of Scripture that I would have chosen is Joshua chapter 2. So I'd like to look at that with you this morning. So please take a Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 2. If you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page 170. Joshua chapter 2. Now, if you were here last week, you know that we were in Joshua chapter 2 last week. And we went through the story in Joshua chapter 2 about two spies 
who go into the promised land that Israel's about to go into. They're sent to the city of Jericho especially. In the city of Jericho, they come across a prostitute named Rahab. And in the, in the course of their conversation with Rahab, she protects them uh, from being found out as spies or from being captured once they're found out as spies. And more importantly, Rahab, this prostitute, who's caught in darkness and in death and in difficulty, is rescued. She's welcomed into the people of God. <clears throat> She's given new life and a new future. Now this is in contrast to the king of Jericho, who also comes to understand that two men have come from the Israelites into Jericho, but instead of turning to God for salvation like he could have, the king rejects uh, God and wants nothing to do with it. And so last week, we looked at Joshua chapter 2 from the point of view of the king and the prostitute. And we asked ourselves the question, which which path are we on? Are we on the path of rejecting God and who He is and what He's doing? Or are we on the path of embracing God, of turning away from uh, the darkness and despair and the death that might be in our life, like Rahab, to God? Well, this morning we're coming back to the story of Joshua 2, and this time we're looking at the story not through the eyes of Rahab or the king, but through the eyes of the two spies. So let's look again at Joshua 2, beginning in verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. The story goes on to talk about the conversation that Rahab has with the king's messengers where she basically says, I'm not going to give these men to you. And then verse 9, she turns to the spies and says to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below." Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. The men respond that anybody who wants to be rescued, can be rescued. And they tell her to hang a scarlet cord out of her window as a sign that she wants to be identified with the people of God. And when God's people come into Jericho, Rahab is rescued. And we looked at last week at how she ends up having this beautiful, amazing life that God takes her out of darkness and death and despair and takes this formerly husbandless prostitute and gives her an amazing husband and an amazing story and most importantly of all, eternal life in heaven. But in continuing with the story, she sends the spies on their way. Jump down to verse 22. 
When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Now at first glance, reading this story from the point of view of the two spies, it looks like a classic spy story. A country is about to invade the land they send two spies to seemingly gather information. The two spies are supposed to go throughout the land, but especially concentrate their efforts in the city of Jericho, which is going to be the first city the Israelites come to. Now, I said it seems like a classic spy story, but upon further investigation, that hypothesis doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Notice, for example, that the very first thing that happens to the spies is that they're immediately identified as spies. Like, now it's not like they go into the land and they kind of look around for seven or eight months and then they're on their way home and they get to Jericho and they get a little sloppy and then suddenly people realize, oh wait, these are Israelites. No, this happens the very first moment they set foot in the land. The very first thing they do. In fact, it seems like they don't even get one night in the land. And they show up in the city and the king knows their spies. The people who come to the king know their spies. The people who the king sends back to Rahab know their spies. Rahab knows. The whole city knows their spies. Now maybe these are the most incompetent spies in the history of mankind. Or maybe this really isn't a spy story. Likewise, notice that the men are told to go to Jericho and into the land and spy out the land. Well, they go to Jericho. They're immediately found out the first night. They hide for three days, and then they go back. They don't go into the land at all. And they don't come back with any military information whatsoever. They don't come back and tell Joshua, yes, Jericho, the walls are this high and the army is this big, or these are the fortifications, or these are what, these are what the, 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 the place looks like. Now, they do come back with some important information that we're going to come back to later. They come back with a report that God is clearly at work. But they come back with no military useful information whatsoever. Which, again, makes me think, this may not be a spy story. Third, no military information is actually needed. If you're familiar with how Jericho ends up falling, you will know that in just a couple of chapters, the children of Israel are going to come into the land. They're going to march around the city seven times blowing trumpets. The walls are going to fall uh, in, and they're going to be absolutely victorious. And if that's what's going to happen... What kind of military information do you need from a spy? What kind of music the people don't like? I mean, what is, what is it they're going to come back with? It doesn't really matter how big the walls are. It doesn't matter how big their army is. It doesn't matter how big the city is. It doesn't matter where troop position should go or what the land looks like. None of that matters. They don't actually need any military information. Which again makes me think, This is not really a spy story. 
because the two spies are immediately identified as spies. They bring back no information. They don't finish carrying out their mission and no military information is needed whatsoever. So if it's not a spy story, what is it? Well, when I read the story, at a deeper level, I think I see a picture of a God who doesn't want anybody to perish. Second exactly. Peter 3 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And this God talked about in 2 Peter 3 is the same God in Joshua chapter 2 who doesn't want anybody to perish. That's why actually I think everybody in the city knows that they're spies is because God wants everybody in the city to have the opportunity to turn to him. Now, Rahab is the only one who does it. But they're there because God is a God who doesn't want anybody to perish. That's not the goal. The goal is for people to be rescued. I also see in this story a woman who desperately wants to be saved. She's not sure how her life could ever look any different than the way it currently looks. She's not sure how she's going to escape from the destruction that is coming. But she's heard that there is a God in heaven who is God not only over the children of Israel, but over the whole world, her God, and that this God is a destroying God, but also that he's a rescuing God, and she wants to be rescued. See, Acts chapter 2 tells us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Matthew 11 says something similar. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I see the picture of a woman who is a prostitute, who's an outcast from her own family, who naturally lies and deceives people, who's been involved in shady situations, but who ultimately wants rest from the weary, burdensome, toilsome life that she's living, who wants to be saved and rescued. And I see that God says anybody who wants to be saved will be. And so in this story, I see a woman who desperately wants to be rescued. I also see in this story two men who end up bringing back no useful military information whatsoever, but who have the opportunity to communicate to this woman that there is a God who does rescue and that he loves to show kindness to anybody who wants it regardless of their past and that these two men come back and report to Joshua not how tall the walls are or how big the city is, but yes, there is truly a God and this God does amazing things and this God is already at work in the land we're about to invade. And so when I look deeper at this story, I realize it's not a spy story, it's an evangelism story. It's a story about a God who doesn't want anybody to perish, a woman who wants desperately to be saved, and two men who get the joy of being those who communicate the good news that this destroying God is also a rescuing God, and his kindness is available to anyone. Now, if it truly is an evangelism story, 
That means that if we're going to live out Joshua chapter 2, remember we said when we go through the book of Joshua, God said to us, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, do everything, be careful to do everything written in the Bible. Meaning that when you come to Joshua 2, we've got to do Joshua 2. And we said, how do you do the stories of the Bible? We step into the characters of the stories and we do what they did. How do we do this story? Well, we don't step into the two spies as spies. We step into the role of the two spies as evangelists. In order for us to live out Joshua chapter 2 today, we don't get on a plane, fly over to Israel, and pretend we're spying for, for the nation of Israel. We step into the role as evangelists. How do we do that? Well, seven things have to happen in order for us to truly live out the same story that these spies lived out. Seven things have to happen in order for us to not just hear this as interesting history, but to be able to be careful to obey what God is telling us to obey this morning. The first is that if we are going to play the role of these spies, God has to send us into enemy territory. The first thing that has to happen is God has to send us into enemy territory. Now you may be thinking, but wait a second, Joshua is the one who actually sent the spies into enemy territory. That's true, but Joshua is in charge because God put him in charge. And that we're meant to see that the things that Joshua commands people to do, God is ultimately commanding them to do. You see, if the women's ministry here asks you to consider doing an evangelistic neighborhood Bible study, ultimately it's not the women's ministry asking you to do it, it's God asking you to do it. And if you obey, if you choose to do it, it's not the church you're obeying, it's God that you're obeying and choosing to do this. Now, for these men, they're being given a very dangerous assignment. The reason it's dangerous is because there's no way for the people in Jericho to know that there is a God who loves them if they say safely camped on the east side of the Jordan. There's also no way for the people of Jericho to know that there's a God who loves them if the children of Israel are marching around the city blowing a trumpet. Therefore, in between, God has to send two spies into enemy territory. And the same thing is true for us. If we stay safely ensconced among Christians here at the church or wherever it may be, or if we wait until judgment day when God shows up as a destroying and avenging God, there's no chance for God to have the gospel shared with a lost and dying world that he desperately wants to see come to faith. So what he has to do is send us into enemy territory. Whether that's your non-Christian school or your non-Christian neighborhood or the book club where not everybody knows Jesus or whatever it is, the family that God puts you in where not everybody is a follower of Jesus, whatever it is, if we're going to live this story, it is necessary for God to send us into enemy territory. That's the first thing that has to happen. The second thing that has to happen is that God has to arrange for our protection and help. 
it looks like these two men are in great danger. I mean, they get into the city, the whole city knows they're spies. You would expect they're going to be executed immediately. But that's not what happens. Why? Because God has already made arrangements to protect them and take care of them and watch over them. I told you that this uh, Bible study that uh, I'm doing, I get to do with my good friend, Mike. That is from the Lord. Because Mike has different spiritual gifts than I have. He's got more connections with people than I have. He's just, he's amazing at getting people uh, together. He himself came to faith just three or four years ago, and so he's got a more recent, very powerful testimony that he's able to share that I don't have, that I can't share. When I get discouraged about how the Bible study is going, he encourages me, and when he gets discouraged about how it's going, I encourage him. That's God arranging for protection and help in the midst of enemy territory. That's what God is required to do. So the second thing that has to happen if this story is going to take place in your life and in my life, God has to arrange for protection and help. If God's sending you to that secular school next year, he needs to provide a Christian friend to come alongside of you, or he needs to provide a supportive family who can love you and care for you while you go into enemy territory. Whatever it may be, God is responsible for arranging for your protection and your help. The third thing that has to happen in order for this story to take place is that God has to steer us to those who want to be saved. How in the world did these two spies end up at Rahab's house? Now, yes, there are answers to the question that range from either the tawdry to the practical. But the reason they end up at this woman's house, according to this story, is because she wanted to be rescued. They're not there for practical reasons. They're not there for sexual reasons. They're there because this woman wanted to be saved and God wanted to save her. God is the one who steered them to her house. So too for us. God is the one who has to steer us to those who are going to be saved. God has to bring us to those that he wants to bring to faith. Fourth thing that has to happen. God has to blow our cover. Now it's possible, like I said, that these are the most incompetent spies in the history of mankind. It's possible they walked into Jericho wearing the I love Yahweh (laughs) t-shirts. It's possible they were singing Father Abraham as they walked up to the city gate. But what I think is far more likely is that God is the one who blew their cover. God is the one who outed them as spies. Why? Because they were never really on a spy mission. They may have thought they were there on a spy mission, but God had another reason for sending them into the land. So too for us, God has to blow our cover. We think that we're at our workplace simply to work or in our neighborhood simply to have a place to live. We think that we're in our family simply because God put us in the family that we're in. We think that we have this friend simply because we chose them to be a friend. But ultimately, we're there in relationships with these other people for another reason. And what God has to do is blow our cover. He's got to out us as Christians. 
See, the reason why it was so difficult sitting around a breakfast table at the omelet shop to actually transition the conversation to be about Jesus is even though I had known most of these guys all my life, I had never actually talked to them about Jesus. And I thought when I graduated from high school, I made it. I escaped. I got through. Nobody really got through the disguise. And then God sent me back here as a pastor. He's outing me as a Christian. There was no way to hide it. That's what he does. He puts us in situations at work, in our family, among our friends, in the neighborhood. And then he blows our cover. Fifth thing that has to happen. God has to provide for us opportunities to talk about his kindness. If we're going to follow this story, now there are times where we just have to take the initiative and we just got to walk up to people and say, I want to tell you about Jesus. But if we're living this story, it's interesting in this story that Rahab is the one who brings up God. Rahab is the one who opens the door for the conversation. Now, how did that happen? Well, it happened because the Holy Spirit was there long before these two spies preparing her heart. The Holy Spirit was the one who was communicating to her the information that God is a destroying God, but he's also a rescuing God. The Holy Spirit was prompting in her heart, maybe this God is actually God of the whole world, and maybe if he's God of the whole world, he's my God, maybe he'd be willing to show me kindness. The Holy Spirit had done all of that work so that when the two spies show up, she says to them, here's what I've heard about God. And if God's going to do this for us, if we're going to live in it, it's his job to give us opportunities to talk about his kindness. Maybe that teacher that you teach with is recently going through or has recently gone through a divorce and you're trying to walk with her in the midst of... This is an opportunity from God for you to be able to talk about God's kindness as she's going through this very difficult journey. Maybe somebody at work has gone to a church to visit and come back and said, this stuff is crazy. Do you know anything on what they're talking about? And God's about to blow your cover because you're going to have to say, yes, I do know something about what you're talking about. But God is the one who has to provide opportunities for us to talk about his kindness. The sixth thing that has to happen if this story is going to take place in our lives is that God has got to do amazing things and give us stories that we can encourage others with. The spies come back from the land with no military information whatsoever, but they come back saying, we saw God. We saw God at work rescuing a woman. We saw God at work preparing the way. God has, been, God has gone before us. Wasn't Elizabeth's testimony encouraging? You watch the news. You listen to what's going on in the world. That's discouraging. You come here and you hear about a woman who herself came to faith in 2000, who's been praying for her son to come to faith. God answers that prayer and is now using her son to share the gospel with others. You can't help but be encouraged. That's what God is required to do. God is required to do amazing things to save people, to rescue people, so that we can have stories that we can share with others and encourage them. That's God's responsibility. Now, I said that there were seven things that had to happen 
in order for us to obey this story. God has to send us into enemy territory. God has to arrange for our protection and help. God has to steer us to those who want to be saved. God has to blow our cover. God has to provide us with opportunities to talk of his kindness. And God has to show us and do amazing things where Jesus does stuff and we have words of encouragement to share with others. And the seventh is that we have to have the courage to obey. These are the things that God is doing. Our job is to let him do these things. Our job is to have the courage to Our job is to pray and ask him to open our eyes to see what he's up to. To see how it is that he's sending us into enemy territory. To see who he's steering us to that we might be able to share his kindness with. To see how he's attempting to blow our cover. And so the assignment that I have for each one of us today... Not optional. Take these six things. So the seventh is us. Take the six things that God needs to do. And your assignment today is to go through those six things and ask, where are you on that list? Is God trying to send you into enemy territory? Are you resisting him doing that? Has he been prompting in your heart for you to have a a Bible study in your neighborhood? Has he been prompting in your heart for you to take a job uh, around uh, some non-Christians? Has he been prompting in your heart for you to join a book club where not everybody knows Jesus? Is God trying to send you into enemy territory? Pray and ask him if that's what he's up to, that you would have the courage to obey him. Or are you at point two? Is God arranging for your protection and help? Pray and ask him to make clear what he's doing. Is he sending you uh, to a secular school next year? Pray and ask him, where are the Christian friends that will be there to help me? How have you arranged for my protection and support? Or are you at point three? Is God wanting to steer you to those who want to be saved? Are you perhaps resisting that? Are you saying, yeah, I don't want to invite that person to the Bible study. They will never want to know about Jesus. Or I don't want to become friends with that person. That may be the person that God has you to become friends with because the least likely people are the ones who come to faith. Or should you be praying that God would open your eyes to say, okay, Lord, I'm ready. I feel like you've sent me to this company. I feel like you've put me in this neighborhood. I feel like you put me in this family. Show me who I'm here for. I want to do a good job at work. I want to be a good uh, player on my sports team. I want to be a good student. But in addition to that, I know that you've sent me here for another reason. Open my eyes and help me to see. Or are you at the fourth step? Is God trying to blow your cover? And are you fighting tooth and nail to keep him from doing that? Pray and ask God to give you the courage to obey. Listen, God doesn't blow your cover to put you in danger. God blows your cover because the blessings that are available aren't available to those who are incognito. God wants to show you and do things for you that you can't do if you keep your Christianity under wraps. Or number five, has God provided you opportunities to talk about his kindness? We've all done it. 
We've all done it where we're in the middle of a conversation and there's a chance to slip in the kindness and goodness of God and we didn't. Pray and ask God for another chance. Pray and ask God to open your eyes to say, okay, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to start this conversation. Please, Lord, let them say something. Give me some window. Give me some sign so I can talk to them about your kindness. Or has God shown you amazing things of how he does save? And do you need to share that with others? We light this candle uh, anytime somebody uh, comes to faith. Last week, we had a beautiful little girl named uh, uh, Cassidy come to faith. We had three others this week uh, who put their faith in Christ. We want to share that along with Elizabeth's story to encourage one another. Has God been showing you things? Has been God doing amazing things through you? You need to share that with others to be an encouragement to them. So your assignment, go back through the six things that God is doing and pray and ask that he would open your eyes to see what he's up to and that he would give you the courage to obey. The great thing about this story, it all rests on God. God's the one who does the sending. God's the one who does the directing. God's the one who guides the conversation. God is the one who does. All we have to do is have the courage to let him do those things. Let's pray together. Father, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would live out Joshua 2 today. God, I thank you that this does not rest on our shoulders, uh, but you are, you are Lord and we simply have to follow. Lord, I know that each one of us here in this room is somewhere in these six steps. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. I pray that you would give us courage to obey. Lord, these two spies... They didn't come back after being in the land bemoaning the fact that they got this assignment. They were overjoyed that they got to see you at work. God, when we, when we watch you rescue people, our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, it's the most amazing thing. Lord, I thank you for this Bible study. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity uh, to share the gospel with those that I should have shared the gospel with a long time ago. I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. I thank you, Lord, that, 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 that I'm getting to see you at work. God, I pray that for each person in this room. Lord, I know, I know where they're at. I know that they're afraid. I know that they're scared. Lord, I am too. But you've commanded us, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged for I'm with you. And so God, do what you said you're going to do. Lord, send us into enemy territory. Lord, guide us to the people we need to go to. Arrange for our protection and help. Lord, out us as Christians. Give us the words to say and show us such amazing things that we can't help but celebrate and talk about what you're up to. God, we began the sermon by talking about you're a God who saves and rescues. Lord, you could do this without us, but you choose to let us be part of the process. Please, Lord, open our eyes and help us to obey. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.